Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 118 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. So uh, joined with us today all the way from Boston is our friend Aaron. How do you say I, your last name, Aaron? Aaron Dalbeck? That is, is that perfectly, correct? that's perfect. Aaron's yeah. not in there Boston anymore. He's just from Boston. From Are Bo- you not in Boston currently? No, we're actually in uh, Pennsylvania, Marietta, oh. right right between I, York and Lancaster. Heard of it? Heard of yeah. it? Well, classic hello. Josh, classic Josh research on that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. AKA didn't do research on that one. I don't know. I just assumed that you're in Boston still, Aaron. I'm sorry. That's okay. I mean, you know, I'm just saying. I am, but there's only. Good. I am in heart, you know. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Liam's in Chicago. Telling, I'm going to start telling people that I'm in Philly in my heart. I think that I think that works, right? Whoa. Oh. But you have to get your John powers back, though. That's the thing. Uh, I don't know if you know, listeners. Liam apparently, once he set foot in the Midwest, can no longer say the word John with the conviction that it deserves. And um, I'm not here to judge. I'm just saying. Seems like a little piece of me died when I just heard that just now. Just saying. Just saying. I, I just feel like I actually developed a cool new slang term, John, and, and then its <laughs> extension, Jonathan. And I'm going to start calling things Jonathan. And instead of allowing me to introduce it to the world in a cool way, you're trying to handicap my new slang, my new, my new uh, cool street talk. You're trying to kill it before it's even had a chance to live. Well, the other John had had a long time ago. It had the other meaning for being a John, not necessarily what? like a John, like a what male, a uh, male man oh. of the night. Right, right. <laughs> Slippery, slippery slope. Bringing, bringing, bringing culture and sexiness to the podcast <laughs> beyond anything we're used to. <laughs> Ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. But yeah, we're joined with uh, we're joined by Aaron today, and um, we are going to talk about uh, two movies. But before we do that, Liam. Yes. Isn't there something that happens right now? Whoa. Not so no, much the segment, no. but first we must thank yeah, that's what I was all say. of our beautiful supporters and uh, our sponsors. And we'd like to give a shout out to uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, a longstanding sponsor for the Cinepunks and great people. I feel like your vibe tonight is like you've never done this before. Like this is all. Yeah, man, I'm I'm under a lot of emotional duress Uh currently, uh so I'm trying to keep it together. Yeah, doing the best that I can, Liam. I don't know. (laughs) Well, we we want to thank High Valley Apparel Creations for their support. Uh, If you have anything that you need screen printed, they're the place to go. If you head on over to xlvacx.com, you can hit them up and find out, uh, you know, what what it's going to cost you to finally make that hoodie for you and your crew that you've always wanted. You know the one. The one that says, Jimmy's Jack Boys. That's the thing you've always wanted on a hooded sweatshirt. And uh, Chris is going to do it for you, and he's going to put your weird pit bull on it. You know the one. (laughs) Crackers. He's going to put a picture of crackers on your duty. You just got to head on over to xlvacx.com. We also want to, of course, thank all of our uh, Patreon supporters. Uh, we've had a f- couple of new people sign up recently. We also want to make sure you know, in case you haven't been paying attention to your Patreon feed, that we have a new <laughs> Patreon-exclusive Cinepunks episode available now 
on it's on Patreon, guys. That's where it's at. <laughs> you should check it out. It's pretty cool. <laughs> sell it, sell it. You're doing so good, dude. You're Go doing listen so good. To it. Now you may be thinking, <laughs> "Hello, I am not a, a, a supporter of Cinepunks on Patreon, but I'm a long-standing listener, and I think my loyalty alone should earn me a chance to hear this episode." Well, you're wrong. This is only for people <laughs> who give us. A minimum of a dollar a month. That's how low we go is a dollar. You don't got a dollar? Come on. You got a dollar. Come on. That's my new Patreon ad. Come on. You got a dollar. You don't got a dollar? Dude, that's um, totally got to be a t-shirt that just says Cinepunks on Patreon. Come on. You got a dollar. Come on. You don't got a dollar? Get out of here. <laughs> Hit the bricks. Wow. Chabroni, Chabroni. Is this is your weird Chicago know. talk now? Is no. that how they talk? You know, Are you going to be like yeah, a I, 1920s gangster from Chicago now? First of all, it's weird because I've definitely met a ton of people from this area who like even grew up in this area since I moved here. I wouldn't say a ton, but a chunk, enough people that I should have heard an accent by now. You know, I should have heard someone where I was like, <laughs> you sound like, you know, Mike Ditka or whatever. And uh, <laughs> I haven't really heard that at all. Like, I really haven't. I, I, a little bit of a general Midwestern-y whatever. But, like, that that exaggerated, you know, the, 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 the way that if you're, I'm convinced if you're in New York long enough, especially if you're not in Manhattan, you will run into a stereotype. It's only a matter of time before you run into someone <laughs> and they're just you're just like, oh, you're that's you. You're the guy that they face all. The yeah, they're just gonna be like, I'm walking here. I'm hey, walking whoa, here. What's hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go Mets or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, and now granted, I haven't spent as much time in Chicago, Chicago, but I just refuse to believe that the suburbs have enough of their own culture that they're all walking around like, oh, we have our own accent here. Ma, good sir. Blah, blah, blah. That's not how it is. <laughs> So I just imagine Liam coming home and being like, eh, you know, we don't eat cheesesteaks. We eat hot Italian beef. And then you're going to say, that's the Chicago way. And <laughs> fucking shoot me with a Tommy gun or some shit. <laughs> that's yo, what I imagine yo, is going to happen now. Yo, I, I appreciate your joke, but let's not talk shit on the Italian beef. That's a good sandwich. A I'm just sandwich. saying, see, it's already begun. We're there. Yeah. So. So uh, typically when you have a guest on a, on a podcast, right, you talk to them about uh, whatever it is they're on to talk about, and at the end you let them uh, plug all their stuff. You know, Aaron, I want you <laughs> to talk about your band now just because I want people to hear it up front, and I don't <laughs> want people to, like, like, just in case they don't make it to the end of the episode. I want it now. Like, <laughs> you're in a band. You guys put a record out a month ago. I want you to plug it now, and then at the end we'll do it again, but... Let's let's get that out out of the way right up front because people should check out the record if they don't know. Now I'm sure a lot of people have heard it, but just for the like maybe five or six people listening to this who 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 don't know about the band. All right, we have, the name of the band is Be Well. Uh, we put out an LP the end of August called The Weight and the Cost, and it's the uh, our first LP. We're super excited about it. Uh, you know, with the the circumstances now, it's a little weird. We can't play shows and get out and promote it a whole sure. lot. But yeah. we're we're super excited and overwhelmed with the with the love we've we've gotten from it. And uh, yeah, hopefully this will go away. We'll be able to play some shows soon. And I mean, and if it's on all the streaming services, if you don't haven't heard it yet, Spotify, Apple Music, good old vinyl and. I don't know if they're making any CDs, actually. 
You put it out on vinyls? Yeah, on the vinyls. Yeah. Did you guys do tapes? <laughs> we did do tapes, actually. Right? You did yeah. do tapes. We did, did you yeah. Think it was weird? Was it weird for you? It was a little weird, but I did them. We did them for uh, my old band at the very end, and it was, they sold quickly. So, I mean, I don't know and, who has a tape what player. Old, what old band was that, by the way? Uh, Bane. <laughs> never. We, you uh, were in Bane? Never. The couple, for a little bit, the whole time, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always a question is, when did you join Bane? Uh, the beginning? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> I mean that's cool. I mean, I, I I you know, I wanted to to make sure we talked about be well because that's the you know people are going to buy the thing now, uh, but it is worth mentioning that you were in. Allow me to say it. One of the more important hardcore bands of my lifetime. Like, I, I, I'm sure being in Bane, you didn't walk around going, "Hey, hey, yo, I'm in Bane. You better respect." But it's just a fact <laughs> that you guys were you know w- simply a very important band that existed for a long time that you know means still means a lot to a lot of people and i that's Thank you. that's worth saying especially because we do have some people in the audience who like aren't corpsmen you know or core folk i should say sorry to be gendered uh and they they, they might not know but it's worth mentioning that not only are you in a current uh good band that people should support but for folks who don't who haven't heard of you before that bane is you know up there in the in the in the constellations of important hardcore bands you guys have more than earned your, your place up there thank you thank you very much <laughs> thank you very much well i mean <laughs> there was a time the thing though i didn't i didn't meet you until be to, well right like yeah when, when we played together and i'm and, sure um, we crossed paths we, we have crossed paths over the decades not years probably possible. decades probably decades uh, probably, yeah, probably. yeah, yeah. But um, but the Be Well record and that night was like one of my favorite. That was the last show I played, and um, wasn't it? Oh, it wasn't. It was second to the last show, but still, it was like a magical fucking night. Yeah, and, it was um, a great night. I kind of feel like we became friends that night. You know what I mean? And that's why, like, I thought it'd be cool to have you on the show with us and just to just to chat. You know? What yeah, I'm yeah. I love it, man. So, I'm super excited. But it's funny because my favorite records of the year, like we're coming on December and stuff. So like I'm trying to pool my my collective like, OK, what are my favorite records this year? It's like the Be Well record and the Pet Shop Boys new record. Those are the <laughs> two for the year that I'm like, I don't know who's going to win it. I don't know. We're going to have to just throw them both in a hat and pick one. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that new that it's that new Be Well is so fucking wonderful. It's so uh- good. I think it's just, you know, it's completely without, I don't want to sound not conceited at all, but I think it's just very honest and genuine and it's not like, like we've all been in other bands, but the purpose of the band wasn't to be like, oh, we're going to start this awesome band and people are going to love it. It's like we started the band and if we could play some shows, it'd be awesome. But I think it, with it being so genuine and so especially now so many people can relate to it that i think that people have really caught on which is awesome yeah man it's it's so good and watching you guys play live is quite an electric experience so i really hope to be able to see you guys play again soon you know yeah yeah i mean i I get it world and all that but you know that again watching you guys play is just like 
You, you know when you watch a new band, but they're like not new. <laughs> it's like everybody knows what the fuck they're doing. It's like yeah. that. It's like one of those like like fresh cathartic experiences from people who've been there before. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, no, I love you guys. So, and I love that record very much. Thank you very much, man. It's awesome. I was in a rock video for you guys, me and my wife. You were, you were, yes, I'm you were. You were in confessional. Yeah. I wonder how many people know that. <laughs> I wore a Cinepunk shirt that that was obscured by a. We should have done that. Yeah. <laughs> Be well, confessional video on YouTube starring Cinepunks. Yeah, there you go. Me and Melani. Melani would be the one that you would put at, at the top of that starring Melani Georgia. Because <laughs> let's be honest, she's the she's the looker. You know what I'm <laughs> I mean, somebody's got to be the good looking one, right? Someone's got to be yeah. a good looking and smart one, you know. Yeah, uh, and we sure as hell know it ain't me. So it's none of us. None of us talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're so glad that you could join us. We're so glad we're going to be talking on this episode, y'all, about True Romance and Wild at Heart, two uh, movies about uh, uh, romances with Elvis fans, which was not yeah. an intentional choice, uh, but it just sort of worked out that way. But before we do with that... Elvis we, fans and blonde ladies. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. Uh, before we do that, though, Josh, there's something that we do at this point of the show. Yeah, it's like a, st- a segment that we've done 118 times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's called... If I'm what would not you call wrong. something like that, do you think? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean... I think it's called... <gasps> Whack, Whack it, it on, on track! track. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what, here's what you don't know, Aaron. Normally when we podcast, or... Well, not normally, but a lot of times, for the majority of our time... We are in the same room, so we look at each other and we yell at it at the same time. Yet, since we've gone remote, <laughs> we have not it's... been able to sync it up at all. I think that so... was pretty good. Actually. That was pretty good. Was pretty good. Uh, that was we've done better. I don't know. Without mm. engaging the actual visual components of uh, mm. talking via the internet, mm. it, it's the best we can do. <laughs> I think. I think that was pretty. I think that was pretty good. You know what, Liam? I think that was pretty good too. <laughs> As an outsider, it was good. It was good. <laughs> so we did it. So Aaron, uh, you know, there's three of us. Any one of us could go first, could go second, could go third. Where would you like to go in this, as far as filling us in and what you've done? That's whack or on track. I'll go second. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Josh. Did you, <laughs> did you want me to go first, or did you want to go first? Yeah, you go first, Liam. All right. Uh, you know, guys, there's not a lot, sort of. Uh, to talk about right now, unfortunately, because there's, you know, I certainly haven't been to the movie theater and I haven't been to any live events, but there's, there's a couple things I want to highlight. Uh, I'm actually going to start with whack because I think the, the, the wax have been pretty obvious of late, um, whether that's tragedies in, in our scene or tragedies on a national scale. Uh, the day that we're recording this episode, uh, we just found out that uh, none of the officers involved in the death of Breonna Taylor are going to be charged with murder. So that's beyond whack. That's like a, we should probably burn something down. Um, uh, Hopefully they are right now. Yeah, that's that's literally I literally got on this episode thinking, God, I hope something's on fucking fire right now. Like Jesus <laughs> oh, Christ. Jesus. It just makes me so I'm so mad about it. I'm so mad about it. OK, um, uh, so there's there's a lot of that whack uh, on a personal level. Um, there's, I have one whack and, uh, it's just, you know, our usual sort of thing, not the, 
national crisis or even the little things I've had to deal with lately that are really frustrating. I went out of my way to watch a movie that wasn't for a podcast, which, as you know, Josh, is not easy for me to do. And it was a little movie called Antebellum. Oh, I wasn't. That movie is bad. It's bad, (laughs) man. Word. No shit. Bro, bro. Okay, let me start out saying that uh, Janelle Monae is amazing. I love that record. Yeah, you're like in love with Janelle. Monae, I love aren't you? her. I love the record. I love the visual album for the record. I like her in what I've seen her in. I haven't seen all of her performances as an actress, but I've seen a lot of them. I think she's really great. And I will even go so far as to say is her performance in this film is really good. But the way this is this is so clearly someone trying, I say someone, a film production company trying to have their own get out. It's like this is to Jaws. It's not even. It's not even like uh, this is to get out. Like Orca is to. <laughs> I was just gonna say that. No, <laughs> this is this is to get out the way that like you know, uh, Killer Jaws of the Deep, or you know, it's 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 the worst possible ripoff of the idea of Get Out, which is like let's take the reality of. Uh, uh, white supremacy in this country and use it in a horror context this film oh man i mean i don't want to get because it is new even though i hated it i don't want to get into too many spoilers but suffice it to say the film starts you hated off, it is the word you'd use you'd say you hate i hated it i think i hated it oh I, I, okay i i just finished it today so it's a little fresh maybe i'm a little frustrated the the concept is pretty good uh, but it's impossible to tell y'all the full concept without ruining the spoiler. There, there, mm. it, on this show, Aaron, we're not that concerned with spoilers. But yeah. when something is a straight up trick, like there's a there's a trick to it, then I don't want to ruin that. I'm okay with saying like generally this is what happens. You'll be fine. You'll still enjoy the movie. I didn't ruin anything. But when the, there's an actual sleight of hand happening, I don't want to ruin the fucking sleight of hand. That's that's a lot for somebody, you know. So I yeah. don't want to do that. I will say. I think the kernel thing, A, you probably already know it if you paid attention in the trailer. You probably know oh, what, what, no. what the trick is. And B, um, it's pretty good, actually. On paper, this is a pretty good idea. Uh, and the performances are pretty good. The problem is uh, we have to have an intro section that is that basically occurs in a reasonable facsimile of the antebellum South. And so... It's a good 30 to 40 minutes of violence against blacks who are enslaved, uh, including Janelle Monet and then some other characters as well, but played for full exploitation over the topness. So oh, imagine no. the sort of violence in uh, you know, 12 Years a Slave, only not for drama, for pure, raunchy, exploitative, whatever, you know? Whoa. And then there's a then there's a transition and then we're in the modern world and in this modern context Janelle Monet is playing this professor and everything written for this professor to say is stupid it's very much <laughs> like oh well you know a black professor she'd just be like we gotta stay strong and things are important and they can't keep us down and like she uses terms like intersectionality and she quotes uh, Asada Shakur but it's never in a way that's believable it's like whoever wrote this it's like Twitter wokeness, and this woman is supposed to be oh, like, man. you know, a real scholar who has done real scholarship. It, it's all bad. And then there's a, the big twist, and the last bit of the movie is like, okay. It's like, 
you know, I will say Janelle Monet is a uh, compelling action star, and they should have her do more violence in movies because it was good. That that aspect of it was good, but it doesn't pay off enough. You know, do do a couple of uh, racists come to a violent end? Sure. Is there some cool things there I'm not going to ruin for people? Like, they're so good that if you do decide to suffer this stupid movie, I'm not going to take the few <laughs> joys of it away from you. Yeah, but the movie is just not very good. And, and I think the, the thing about it that moves it from poorly executed into actually kind of annoying is um, it takes itself very seriously. It is the mm. intellectual level of seeing, like, Mandingo or something like that from the 70s. Uh, but it's playing itself like it is basically a scarier 12 years of slave, you know, that it's like, this is serious. This is a serious film that should be taken seriously. And it's just corny. It's corny trash, you know? And Hmm. you know, you know how I feel. Sometimes I love corny trash. I love, you know, love exploitation film too. dirty exploitation films. It's just, it is played in such a way that it doesn't work. And I think the people who made it, uh, they, I don't think it's to make an exploitation movie that uses these sorts of images. I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it is like a question of timing and of tone. And I don't think they figure that out. Plus it's kind of boring. Like I just, it doesn't really pick up in a way that's compelling till the end. And it's not enough to justify the rest of the movie. And that's just a real bummer for me. I like any, like a lot of people I know was very excited about the trailer. Uh, and I think honestly, like we're at the point now where people, you could tell the same story without the constant images of black suffering and death because I think people are sick of it. When, when we're still seeing every day images of people getting shot by the police, uh, mm. I don't need these long, extended things in this movie. It's not new and shocking anymore, and I don't think it's necessary for the plot that the same story could have been told in a different way that like worked for me better. But, you know, uh, you know if people disagree... You know, hit us up on the social media. That's fine. <laughs> but for me, I thought it was I thought it was bad. Uh, yeah. On the on track, um, I well, I've mostly just watched stuff movie wise for podcasts. But there's a f- couple of TV things. Something that you're going to be excited about, Josh. There's a yeah. new season of Bluey available. Oh snap! Love me, some Aaron. Bluey. Do you know about Bluey? Do you know I do Bluey? not. I do not. Are you a subscriber to the Disney Plus? Oh, I am. I have a six-year, so, almost six-year-old, yeah. <laughs> oh, if you have a kid, then you need to show your child Bluey. It's an Australian show about it's everyone so is dogs, good. basically. And they're all based on real dog breeds in Australia. And they're all living, like, normal, basically kind of human lives in a specific part of Australia. And Bluey's, like, a little girl who her parents, like, just, like, play with her a lot. Like, every episode is, like, them playing a game or something. But it's, like, so smart and funny and really touching and I, I don't know I find myself like laughing and even sometimes getting emotional at multiple episodes of Bluey so Josh Liam, I, I, told, Liam told me and Milani about it was like yo you gotta check this show Bluey out and we're like we don't have kids it's already weird that we go to Disney without children like what are you trying to do to us <laughs> Liam make this even weirder and then we watched it and we straight up burned through season one in like a day and it's just so good. Like, I don't even know how to describe it, really. Um, 
it's voiced by indie rockers, right, Liam? Like Australian indie rock yeah, dudes. Yeah, the, the, like... the dad is this guy that's like super well known in that world, and um, all the kids are played by actual kids. Like basically, the animators like their kids come in and they voice all the kids of the show. That's and, awesome. Yeah, it's it's really good, and it's just consistently consistently it's funny for me and my wife and consistently the games and the fun things they do in the show are so fun that our daughter like insists that we play those games with her she'll be like oh let's do this or let's do that so um josh the the new season it's not up on disney plus yet uh but it is on our media john so uh you should check it out oh that media jonathan it's on the media jonathan (laughs) i think it's worth your i think that jonathan is worth your time (laughs) Uh, i do actually have though two other things i want to i want to mention that are actually other podcasts which i don't on this whacking on track i don't do a lot of podcasts but there's there's two recently that i'm super stoked on i want to give some shine to one is um you know i mentioned here before briefly that justin lore convinced me to start listening to behind the bastards uh robert evans podcast about terrible people in history and the most recent episode of Behind the Bastards is actually about Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, and it's oh. about, and he's actually already done uh, a couple of episodes about Mark Zuckerberg. But he's like, hey, guess what? Facebook has committed more crimes. So it's time to talk about Mark Zuckerberg again. And uh, I think we all, as especially like we're all a little bit older on this call, uh, we've all found ourselves frustrated with Facebook for various reasons. Uh, and it's a really common old man thing to be like, oh, it's a social media, blah, 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 blah. But um, the sorts of things that Facebook is guilty of is beyond our annoyance as old people. Um, the ways that Facebook has become a tool for people to foster genocide is like pretty much established at this point. And the refusal of Facebook to actually do anything about it or to claim they're doing things about it and then not follow through. you know. So specifically, he talks about how uh, Facebook has one content monitoring office for all of Africa that employs about 100 people. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but Africa is like two North Americas, so that's probably yeah. not enough. And in a lot of these countries, they have access to Facebook over their cell phones more than they do the Internet. So really, Facebook is the Internet for them. Uh, and what they don't have is anyone on staff uh, who speaks the various languages of Ethiopia. And, uh, you know, there was recently an ethnic cleansing event that was fostered over Facebook. And uh, they have no one to take care of that because no one, not only that, even the like rules of Facebook are not available in all the languages of the countries that they make the app available in. So, uh, you know, if, 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 uh, anyways, I don't want to say all the, terrible stuff that's in the episode but it's a very good episode and i think people should check it out because you know we really need to start asking the question of how responsible are these platforms for not monitoring and for allowing uh this silly app that was originally developed so mark zuckerberg could get laid uh now really destroys democracies across the planet like is a tool of fighting freedom so you know we should talk about that and if that's okay or not um the the other podcast i want to lift up is a podcast uh called what had happened was uh which is open mike eagle and uh prince paul and it's basically open mike eagle talking to prince paul about his career and it's very good uh prince paul has done everything ever and it's amazing so uh i just before we started was listening to 
the Gravediggers episode. I kind of jump around and listen to stuff that I find interesting, uh, but uh, it, it's really good. All the episodes are very good, so uh, check that. Check out uh, what had happened was. It's very good. Uh, wow. But that's about it for me. I wish I had wa- gotten in some more movies. I've watched a ton of movies, but they're all podcast related, so. Um, you know, so you can't out. talk about them on your <laughs> podcast about movies. Well, I mean, I can, but you know, you might as well listen to the podcast. You know, if uh, I watched, <laughs> I watched an Eric Roberts movie today. I told Doug today, uh, my co-host for Cinema Smorgasbord, that there should be a whole genre of films that is um, uh, the haircut of Eric Roberts on the cover of the DVD case is not the haircut that's in the movie. That's its own <laughs> genre of film. <laughs> so this is one of those where you have short hair Eric Roberts on the cover. You start the movie and it's long mullet Eric Roberts, like long mullet, <laughs> like crazy mullet Eric Roberts. So, um, you know, that's one of the things I've, you know, some stuff for horror business. But uh, the other thing I'll do is actually plug something just because it's friend of the show. Uh, those of you who listen to horror business know that we have done a couple episodes now with director Dean Capsalis and his movie, uh, the Swerve that we saw at Brooklyn Horror Film Fest last year has now come out. It's available on VOD to everyone starting yesterday. So uh, you should find it. You can get it on platforms all over the place. Uh, and the you know if you're someone who isn't sure if it's worth paying VOD for a movie, I, I just want to make sure you know that if a movie doesn't get play on VOD or various other platforms, you're never going to get that Blu-ray that you're waiting for. So I, I, I suggest you check it out. It's a, it's a brutal film. I will say, if you prefer your horror movies to be happy, this is not the movie for you. But if you like uh, <laughs> heart-wrenching films about mental illness, here you go. This is what you want. <laughs> the Swerve. <laughs> That's it for me. Uh, Aaron, your turn, man. Uh, for for whack? I don't know. The world is just so whack right now. I can't even like. Yeah. pick one thing that's... I mean, literally, I mean, when I'm in my home, that's like the good thing. And then I go outside and I'm like, we're so fucked. And it's just going to get so much worse before it gets better. Like, not to get all political or anything, but once November hits, no matter what happens, we're going to see some crazier shit than we've ever seen in this country. Since like, since like the Civil War, they'll, they'll. I, I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but I don't think they'll. I think there'll be another civil war after November. I'm I'm completely honest. It's going to be insane. It's going to be the assumption that if Trump loses, which by the way is not guaranteed, but if he did lose, yeah. that then he's just going to walk away all peaceful, like is like at minimum he's going to cause problems that we'll be fixing through well, he, whoever's president. He already tried. Minimum. Yeah, he already tried to sign an executive order to that. Biden couldn't run today. Or, I mean, yesterday. Yeah, it's insane. Yes. But we won't get all political at all. <laughs> but one hundred percent, I don't care. You can get us political. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's just that it, it, that's to look beyond what's going on in the, with the world, like you said earlier, with like the the thing with Breonna Taylor today. Like nobody facing any charges. Essentially, I mean, nothing related to her. You know. It's just insane. And that's just like the tip, tip of the iceberg of everything going on right now. You know, it, it's, it's a, duh. but you gotta be positive. You know, things will change. Things like this, as weird as it may sound, happen for a reason, hopefully, and we'll come out better on top. You, you know, that's all you can do is hope for that. You know? Yeah. All we can uh, do is do our part and hope for the best, you know? Like, ex- 
That's all, yeah. That's all you got control over. Exactly. Exactly. Um, for my, sh- sh- I don't know, but things good for I, I. I mean, like I said earlier, I have a almost six year old, so ninety five percent of the stuff that I watch is TV shows for him. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a lot of octonauts and uh. <laughs> but um, how do you? Are you guys down with the We Bear Bears? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, oh so sweet good. baby. It's That's so another good. one that Liam was like, yo, you need to get down with this. I was like, Liam, you're trying to make me weird actively. What are you making me? And then I watched the whole thing, and it, there's a movie. It's so good. It's like one of my favorite um, TV shows at this point. You have to send me an email with these, with all these shows you're talking about, because I'll definitely... Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, but, me, me and my wife have talked about doing a kid's show podcast, just talking about, because we have to watch so many. Oh, yeah. Some are really good, and so many are really bad. And we were like, maybe we should just do our own podcast where we just review kid's shows. Yeah. I was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was definitely disappointed also in... I, I love superhero movies. I'm a sucker for all that. And I finally sat down and tried to watch Doom Patrol. Oh, uh, you don't like the Doom Patrol, not, huh? Not into it. I've only watched I've watched two episodes and I'm just not into it. I don't know I mean, what where it are is. You with the book? Are you are you a fan of the book? I mean, I read the comics when I was younger, but I just yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I two episodes in and I just can't find the the drive to even go back into another episode actually wow i I liked it i want to pretend to be offended but i do think it's actually an acquired taste even though i really like it i think it's like it's so weird it's so meta it's so goofy i could see it being kind of off-putting you know what i mean like it's yeah it's not like an obvious thing. I, I definitely enjoyed it, but I was less passionate about it. Like I know my bias is towards like obvious superhero stuff, so I had to be in the mood to watch it. But once I got into the show and its weird sense of humor, it became one of my favorites actually. Like just yeah. because of how it played out, you know. But I mean, even like I mean, I mean, I'll jump back into it at some point because I mean, I felt the same way when Arrested Development first came out too. I hated it the first couple episodes. And then I started over, and I was like, "This is the best show ever." You know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I mean, movie wise, I haven't really watched a whole lot of movies lately, just because, like you said, you can't really go out and see a whole lot of movies now. And <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, did I miss something else? No, I no, it's just right, whatever. Right. I mean, yeah, 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 I think that's good. Josh always has a million things too, so we gotta give him lots of room. It's true. It's true. So, <laughs> are you good, Aaron? Did you get it? Did you say everything? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Actually, I am addicted. Can I put a little podcast? Pl- I mean, it's yeah, big, but please. yeah, but it, my son and uh, me, my wife, and my son went over in the car. We actually listened to that Supernatural podcast. It's called Super- about Supernatural the, about the TV show. No, it's like this woman. She does that, and another one called Crime Junkies. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both really good, and there's and the Crime Junkies we can't listen to with my son in the car because it gets pretty graphic. But uh, we all listen to Supernatural. Whenever there's a new one out, we always listen to it in the car. We'll like find some place to go for a car ride and listen to it. It's (laughs) it's pretty awesome. If you're into like supernatural kind of stuff, yeah, that sounds pretty. It's pretty awesome. You have to check that out. It's very seasonal. It is topical of, of the time. <laughs> it <Ooh>. is, <laughs> but yeah, that's about it. So, cool, Josh, you cool, go. very good. I, I mean, 
same with uh, both you guys as far as WAC goes. Um, you know, it's the constant existential crisis of watching the world burn. Um, I'm also currently not sure if I have a job, so that's not so fun. Yeah, either. that's not good. And um, it's been it's been very stressful, but um, you know, just trying to keep my head up and trying to keep it pushing, as a fellow says. And it's funny because it's like, so the circumstance under which I don't know if I have a job or not is that like, you know, I'm there was like a an event, and like now I I don't know. They have me off the schedule per investigation, as it were. And um, so I haven't been there for two fucking weeks at this point. And it's brutal because, like, I don't know if I have a job or not. And they're like, yeah, well, we'll let you know when we reach a final decision. It's like, ah, cool. But, like, every day my brother comes because me and my brother have worked together for the past decade, you know. And he comes over and he's like, dude, like, all these people are just like, yo, tell Josh we're thinking about him. And I was like, really? We're thinking about me? Like, I, I mean, it's one of those things. Right? I've worked there for two two decades, right? And it's fine. Like, you know how it is when you just, like, work a job. That's your job, right? Like, you don't really think about it. Like, it's, I mean, you think about it, but you just do your job kind of. Yeah. Thing. So I never really thought that, like, anyone would give a shit if I was there or if I wasn't, like, other than, like, the patients that I take care of. And it is like, no, nah, man, I felt like I was sitting, he was sitting at our lunch table where we've eaten lunch every day. And he said, all these people are coming up to him being like, tell Joshua we said hello. <laughs> tell him dietary has his back. I'm like, ah, that's good to know. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I guess that's the silver lining of that cloud. But um, you, just like you guys said, like the world is on fire and it's kind of a, it's, it's difficult to keep everything going forward. Right. So, so um, the end result of me being away from work for the past two weeks is that I've been watching a lot of movies and so um, I watched the Magnificent Ambersons on the Criterion streaming, um, the Orson Welles movie. Have you seen this movie, Liam? No, I don't know it. It's basically um, if uh, the Royal Tannenbaums was a cover song, this was the original source material. It feels like Ooh. it's like that weird Orson Wellian. Like um, it's very much his vision. So it has a lot of those inventive for the time camera angles and very long shots and. And it's very poetic in its telling of its story. Um, but it's it's a grandiose story about a family that goes from like when they were like super rich to when they're poor, like over a generation. And it's um it was a pretty interesting family drama. I really liked it a lot, actually. And um another thing that's streaming on the Criterion channel right now is um there are three movies by Greg Araki. Now, uh, oh, long-time right. listeners of the show know that I never really understood Greg Araki movies. I only saw The Doom Generation, and uh, I saw it, like, in college, I think, maybe, and I didn't like it. I thought it was uh, just not my favorite. But um, since, like, a lot of people that I respect and, like, that whose opinions on movies I really do trust tell me that they, they enjoy his movies, I gave it a shot given that Criterion had had three of them on there. So I saw The Living End... And I saw Totally Fucked Up. And there's one more called Mysterious Skin, which is apparently like one of his like big ones from those days. And uh, I got to say, watching them now with the perspective that I have on film and just in terms of like queer culture and all this other stuff in its place in that pantheon, I definitely have a different and more um, thorough understanding of these movies. And I do like them a lot. So so that was pretty cool. And um the other thing that's streaming is that there are four shorts 
by a director named Janexa Bravo. Do you know this lady, Liam? Oh no, sorry. I was I was like wasn't sure if you're talking to me or to Aaron. Uh, well, well, I, I do know this. because we talked about it because you told me about it, but I didn't Dude. really know the name ahead of time. Her movie is she directed the movie Lemon. Do you remember that movie Lemon starring? Um, I think Michael Sarah was in it and Brett Gelman. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So if you like that movie and how it's like weird and like kind of off kilter, her shorts that are streaming right now are that magnified and they are so good. They're so, so, so good. Um, there's one called man rots from the head. There's one called, um, uh, women, women and woman in deep. It was called. And then there, there was, uh, Oh yeah. Gregory go boom and Pauline alone. And they're so just like beautiful, just so expertly shot. And they're like, none of them are longer than 15 minutes, but they're just so like twisted. And I can't really like describe them. There isn't, I mean, they're awesome and they're topical. And she definitely has a pointed perspective in terms of like uh, injustice and social ills and stuff. But she addresses it in such a lyrical way that it feels like you're listening to a song. And um, I really, really, really enjoyed those those movies. They're really they're cool. They're all streaming on Criterion right now, and um, highly recommended. So those are good. As far as music goes, my dear friend George Chamberlain put out a, ba- a record um, with his band called uh, his band is called Ritual Earth, and the record's called MMXX. I don't know if that's like you know numbers or something, but anyway, um, it's like Stoner Doom from Philadelphia. It's like a little bit. George is singing and he's got like a beautiful voice, and um, he was in Halo of Snakes with me. And um, the record I really really enjoy. It's like this like nebulous like space doom rock is what I would hmm. compare it to. It's like uh, it, it sounds. It reminds. It's reminiscent of Caven, um, specifically Creative Eclipses era Caven. Um, but I do, I do like it a lot. I think it's really, really good. And so that is what I got for on track. That's all I got, Liam. I'm sorry. No, that was go good. Longer if you want. No, that was oh, good. Okay, that cool. was good. <laughs> well, I realize most of your on track is because you do a million things, and of course, right now, no one is doing a million things. So yeah, there's actually yeah, a yeah, lot that's... less. Uh, I did, I did. When you said music, I forgot to mention uh, that band Heavy Discipline has a new record out that I mm-hmm. very much enjoy. Um, and I've been listening to a lot. So, uh, but that, but otherwise, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't, I've been listening to a lot more podcasts than music lately. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna jump into True Romance and Wild at Heart. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, get ready for some deep, in-depth discussion <laughs> of those Jonathans. We'll be right back <laughs> after the break. Coffee mug, just a little way to haze Liquid proof, that I can win this race Coffee mug, but the back is all The inner link, keep it fucking all I don't need no food to talk, I just took a little my coffee mug I don't need no kiss milk, I just took a little my coffee mug Made in van, my liquid don't have chores But too many hooks, and they got too much more So for the moment, we're all pretty good to go When I am cooked, when I am on go I don't need no food to talk, I just took a little my coffee mug I don't need no kiss milk, I just took a little my coffee mug and we are back. So uh, we're joined today by Aaron Dalbeck, as we said, and you picked a movie called True Romance and Wild at yeah. Heart, right? 
I yeah. picked Wild Heart. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, he picked, Liam picked Wild Heart. Yeah. Yeah, we were trying to decide on something, and it was so funny because when I picked it, I thought, this reminds me of True Romance, and it wasn't until we watched it, I'm like, oh, this is why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> funny, sto- funny story is I had never really, I saw Wild at Heart probably in like 97 or 98, and I didn't, I don't even know if I had really watched the whole thing. But it never clicked to be the the the, the obvious uh, correlation to each other. <laughs> like I mean, it, 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 it does feel so obvious, but when I picked them, guys, I was not like, this is it. Elvis, <laughs> Elvis fans and their blonde girlfriends. Let's do it. It just wasn't even... I just thought like, oh, Wild at Heart has a couple too, and, and, and they're both kind of violent. Like, this makes sense. But I'll be honest, like, Wild at Heart I had seen recently, so I knew uh, a little bit more about it. True Romance... I don't think I've watched it in 15 years, maybe something like that. Yeah, so I think I might be I, right there with you. I really was like, it was familiar and not familiar at the same time. It was like that weird experience was like, yeah. okay, I generally know how this is going to end, but like little bits and pieces, I'd be like surprised. Like, Oh, right. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, it was still <laughs> so let's start yeah. with a uh, wild at heart. Well, I assume most people listening have seen it for those of you who haven't. Uh, it's a, uh, David Lynch film starring Laura Dern, uh, Nicolas Cage, Willem Dafoe, J.E. Freeman, uh, Diane Ladd, which Diane Ladd plays Laura Dern's mom, which is funny because <laughs> she is Laura Diane Dern's Ladd mom. Diane Ladd is Laura Dern's mom. So that's Dude, that's just the fact that casting. her mom was in this movie where she's playing like a sex maniac is like, wow, that was okay with you guys? Like. Oh, Not that yeah, I'm trying to thing. like judge or anything, but it's that's a lot, man. I can't say the word penis in front of my parents. I, I didn't know that, so that's a cool thing that I actually didn't even pick up or know about. That I didn't know that real that was really her mom. Yeah, it's yeah. a whole Which, that makes a whole bring yeah brings a whole new light to the movie too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Well, I know Josh, you you're a little uptight about this in general. I I think. If you're an actor, you have to already let go of some stuff. But I will say, it, for me, it's less the like uh, her mom being a fiend in this movie, or her uh, or uh, uh, Laura Dern's like constant sex scenes. Which, by the way, they cut out a bunch of sex scenes apparently of, yeah. of this movie, which is crazy. It feels like all they ever do is like uh, have sex and then violent things happen. That's about the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it is uh, it is interesting to me like that idea that the intensity that they have towards each other that that underlying kind of like uh, love hate relationship is like one of the motivators of the whole thing so anyways uh so this came out in 1990 it's worth mentioning that it got the palm dior even though yeah. a bunch of people at the screening at can booed it and walked out and midway walked through out. yeah uh it was financially a huge bomb and this was just after um lynch uh, I think this came out before Twin Peaks premiered, maybe? Yeah, he had done, like, the pilot or something yes, like that. Yes, 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 So this is, like, a weird time, like, where he's kind of well-known, uh, but not, like, the... the uh, He doesn't have the cultural sort of weight that he would once Twin Peaks really got going. Uh, however, just, like, I think three years later, they would walk out and boo him again because of uh, Fire Walk With Me, uh, which also <laughs> was not a movie people loved, but I think is actually really great. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about like our responses to the film on this watching. Aaron, I want to start with you as the guest. What did you think of Wild at Heart as someone who probably hadn't seen the whole thing or at least hadn't seen it in a long time? 
Yeah, like I... let's wait before we get into that, Aaron. Why don't you tell us about your relationship with um, with David Lynch? Like, oh yeah, good. Oh yeah, that's actually really good. So uh, I was not a huge fan of Twin Peaks. It was like that was my first experience with David Lynch. I wouldn't say I disliked that, but I just it just never for some reason it never stuck with me when it first came out. Sure. And uh, my wife is obsessed with Twin Peaks, so I've grown to like it a lot now. Um, but I was never a huge David Lynch fan. But this weird, this, I have this weird correlation between him and and it's not a it's not he's not a director or anything. But I kind of put him in the same thing as like Charles Bukowski as a writer. Like they're very similar, but in different mediums. So like I I feel like I can. I kind of see what David Lynch is all about and feel it, but I just for some reason had this aversion to him for some reason, um, which I honestly didn't even realize till you had sent me the movie that it was a David Lynch movie. That's oh, how like wow. kind of like kind of like disconnected I am from it. Like I put it on, and my wife is there, and I was like, "Oh wait, this is a David Lynch movie!" Like, <laughs> so so it was actually it was nice to actually get kind of like a. A new introduction to him, I guess you could say, you know? So yeah, I'm assuming that. then you didn't watch like a lot of his other movies? I didn't. There's a lot of stuff oh, like... I'd... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know what it was. I just had this weird aversion to all of this stuff. And I don't know why. Because like, <laughs> like I said, I kind of always kind of like put him in that same category as like Bukowski. And I love Bukowski. But for some reason, I just like had this weird, yeah. I I I, yeah, I don't no, know why. It, like I really didn't get into cool. Twin Peaks. I didn't get into till till the to those that last two seasons or whatever. Well, the last season oh, the when it came out, se- the, yeah, third the third season. season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I never got into it till that came out. Wow. I actually have never seen the second season or the third season or Firewalk Me of Twin Peaks, <laughs> bro. <laughs> Which is to say, yeah, and I'm a huge David Lynch fan. But I never saw any of those things. Yeah. You, so. need to get, you need to get on it. Well, to be fair, the second season's hard because it's not David Lynch, right? He walked off the show, and they did the remainder of the season without him. And so while I think there's some, there are highlights of season two of Twin Peaks, uh, overall, it's generally accepted that it's not good, you know? Uh, and that's why uh, the third season was such a surprise because it's like David Lynch returning to the material. It's crazy. And it really feels like, he pushes the envelope on on stuff. So wh- whatever. I I'm with yeah. you, Josh. Though that like I got more into his movies than Twin Peaks. Uh, in a lot of ways, like I, I watched the first season, but then I really got into his movies later on, like uh, as as yeah. part of like my film diet. Aaron, I, I'm like super curious. Then like, so coming to this is like you don't even have. There's a certain way where you get kind of used to David Lynch and all of his weird things that he does. So I'm like really curious what you thought of this movie and how it kind of hits you as someone who's not super familiar with him as a director. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was I I thought it was uh, a good movie. I wasn't (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't blown away. I wasn't like, oh, this. What am I then missing? Like, I didn't have that kind of reaction to it. But not to get into true romance at all but it was so it was like the precursor to that in a weird way you know what i mean like it was right, i didn't right. realize that how close it was to that and then 
And then when I started watching it, I kind of kept on relating it to True Romance. So I was a little bit kind of like huh. going into it. After, after I started watching, I was like, wait, this is like, this is kind of True Romance. But, <laughs> you know, like, but overall, it was a great movie. Like, I mean, I thought it was, it was super entertaining. It kind of opened my eyes to David Lynch's stuff a little bit more, I feel, than... Now I want to dive back into his other stuff and be like, oh, let me go rewatch that. Because, I mean, I've seen a bunch of his movies, but it just never had that connection to him, I guess, you know? Sure, sure. It just never resonated with Yeah, you? yeah, it just never clicked. It's just like, yeah. But also that was a long time ago when I saw most of his stuff. So, you know, I definitely want to go back, dive back into him, you know? Oh, I feel yeah. that. Yeah, for sure, um, yeah. Josh, how I mean, familiar with you are you with with this movie? With this movie, I saw it when I was a kid, and I was just stoked that there was a lot of nudity in it. Right. So this <laughs> is my first time revisiting it with an actual cinematic eye. I feel, and um, it's funny too because I mean I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show, Liam, but like my relationship with Lynch is different than most people's. In that, my entry point was Dune. And I love <laughs> fucking Dune. Dude, I loved that movie. Like, I didn't read the book. I didn't read the, the Frank Herbert books or anything like that. And I remember seeing Dune at a formative age, and then it just never left me. It's one of those movies that I've seen, like, so many times that I could do a one-man reenactment of the whole thing, oh, playing Jesus. all the parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be horrible, terrible, or beautiful. But um, so my relationship with Lynch starts with that. And then we went into Blue Velvet, and then we went into, like, all the other, like, Lynch stuff. Only getting to Twin Peaks when I started dating Melania, because she loved it. And um, it, or, I don't know if she, like, loved David Lynch, but she liked Twin Peaks enough that I was like, well, I like David Lynch, so let's yeah. see what this is about. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, again, I watched the first season and then stopped and never went back, and that was it. Um, I mean, like, I, I, I don't really do TV shows like that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just not that guy. But, um, again, my relationship with David Lynch and his movies are, like, I love The Elephant Man. I love, like, all the stuff that's, like, like Lost Highway. You know what I mean? Like, I managed to go even see him when he spoke at the, uh, he spoke at the School of Visual Arts here in Philadelphia. The What was that place called? I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He spoke uh, there. PAFA. The Philly School. At PAFA. Philly Yeah, Art. yeah, yeah. yeah something i forget what it is fine arts whatever it, but anyway, he went he, he, he had went, a, he went to school there and that's when he lived in the eraser head yeah, yeah 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 oh i love eraser head too and uh so that's the thing like we went and saw him talk and he talked about transcendental meditation for like an hour and a half and it was like <laughs> so weird and he had all of his like artwork from when he went to Pafa, like that was what the exhibit was. So it was like early David Lynch visual art, you know what I mean? And he had some like shorts and stuff like that in there, but like for the most, it was just painting and like that kind of like other like artistic stuff that he did. And and now that you bring it up, Aaron, it's funny because when I think about like my relationship with Charles Bukowski's writings and like my relationship with seeing like the David Lynch like artwork, I can definitely see the common thread in terms yeah. of like this like outsider poeticism like it was it, it's very like obvious now now that you say it but um yeah that said i do love david lynch movies and watching wild at heart now i think um i never really gave it the critical look that uh, it deserves and it's now probably 
moved up a little bit in the pantheon of David Lynch movies for me because despite being like a wild, you know, David Lynch style, it's a, it's a road movie. And I love yeah, them right. shits. Like, yeah. you know, I got a Fast and the Furious tattoo. So that's like how committed I am to road movies. <laughs> and um, this movie is of the David Lynch movies. It's like the least like wackadoo style to me. You know, it's not like finding ears in the grass or like, you know, it's I mean, there's there's a lot of crazy shit in there for sure. It, it opens with Nick Cage beating a dude's brains out. <laughs> no shit. But, yeah. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I really loved like just um the music in it is really strange right. and uh yeah. i mean it's the it's random like singing <laughs> yeah and like all the like all the criticism that i read about this movie going into this episode was like well nicholas cage sings all of his parts it's like no shit it's just i i mean i really love the end when he sings love me tender like the whole <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the movie uh a lot more um than i did when i first saw it so. I, I really like the idea that that stuff, the Wizard of Oz stuff and the Elvis of it all, was stuff that Lynch brought to the material. That the original book didn't have any of this. That this is just yeah. him injecting this stuff into the story. And in yeah. a way, trying to like bring a little life to the story. So I guess the original narrative was like super dark and it ends on such a dour note. And even though Lynch really enjoyed the book, he just felt like, you know, his, his when he was first working on the script, his first version of the script, people read it and they were like, I don't know about this, you know? like, And so, like, he really was trying to, like, make a movie that he could, like, feel good about in a way, you know? Now, granted, mm. there's a lot of his themes at the time. You know, one of the things that people didn't get about Twin Peaks, right, was that it was about our culture of violence. Like if you think about when Twin Peaks came out, right? There was mm. all this like true crime stuff starting and uh, constant news about murder and death. And in retrospect, we know that a, a lot of that cultural stuff was about white supremacy, right? That like uh, w the news had started covering more crime just because it like people were feeding into this idea that all of society was on the verge of collapse and they needed like strong leadership to protect. I mean, that, that was like the whole eighties was built on that. And by the time of the nineties, you get these like, you know, the cop shows where the cops have like automatic weapons and everything is about this, like, like war on crime and war on drugs and whatever, whatever. And so all that violence was like a part of his arc cause it was reflecting that whatever. But, um, you know, reading about him talking about the movie, how, this stuff just kind of bleeds together for him. There wasn't like an overarching like message. It just sort of like, you know, it just gets baked into the sauce, whether you intend yeah, it, it just to gets or not. Like manifested as he moves along the yeah. process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and yeah, as yeah. an artist, that is fascinating. That is uh -huh. wholly insane to me, and it's 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 definitely a beautiful thing to watch. My uh, my exposure to Lynch was very young. Uh, and it was a racer head. I saw it way too young, and it fucking scarred me. And I've only been able to watch it once since then. And I watched it once and was like, nope, nope, no, no. Uh, and then after that, I was pretty positive with Lynch, although there was a lot of stuff I didn't get a chance to see. Um, and I was young, right? Like, I, you know, as we've talked about in the show before, I didn't really know directors. I knew Lynch a little bit because my stepdad was obsessed with Lynch and specifically the Twin Peaks. And I ended up watching all of Twin Peaks when I was younger because of him talking about it. Uh, but 
as far as more Lynch movies, I knew my mom told me at a very young age not to see Blue Velvet because it was too upsetting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and things like that were, were, were sort of like, that's what I knew about Lynch. And then in high school, I, on my recommendation, a bunch of my friends watched Lost Highway. And I just didn't have the, the language. I didn't have the knowledge to process some shit like Lost Highway. Like Lost Highway, once you start getting into the Lost Highways, the Mulholland drives of it all, you're really getting into this like weird nightmare logic stuff. I mean, Mulholland Drive kind of only works if most of the movie's a dream sequence in a way. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. so much weird stuff going on with him. And so to jump from you know, a nightmare of a racer head and one season of Twin Peaks and to jump from there straight into Lost Highway, I couldn't do it. It just didn't work for me. And after that, I kind of avoided Lynch for a while, and it was actually um, in seminary, I watched, uh, uh, what's that movie called? The Straight Story, Lynch's uh, Disney movie. Have you guys seen this? I have not seen it. No, it's just like straight up, just linear, like not Lynch movie. Yo, it's basically an old man... He can't keep his license, but he wants to travel across the country. So he packs up his ride mower and tries to drive the ride mower across the country. <laughs> now, if you've watched Whoa. enough Lynch movies, you can watch it and go, okay, I see. I see David is here. He's present, but it's definitely not like anything else. And I loved it. I thought it was amazing. So from that, I went back and realized, like, though I still don't have a taste for watching Eraserhead again, I still appreciate it. And I fell in love with a lot of his other movies. Uh, that maybe I had given a chance to or I hadn't. Um, and so it was at that time that I watched Wild at Heart and really was like, oh, this is great. And then returning to it recently, it was kind of on my mind. They did a screening of it before I moved in Emmaus where we sold the Wild at Heart t-shirt that we made for Rough Cut. So um, yeah. I got to see it on the big screen two nights in a row. And I was like, yeah, I just really fucking love this movie. And I think, you know, Josh, you kind of touched on it. Like, I love the road moviness of it, right? Yeah. I love it's the so good. I love the way that Laura Dern is given so much to do. Like Nick Cage, like it's so easy to get distracted by Nick Cage and his stupid snakeskin jacket. <laughs> but it's not his it's not really his movie. He's not given no. that yeah. much to do. She is the one doing it. I mean, yes, Willem Dafoe is also chewing the scenery and of course her mom, you know, Diane Ladd is is rubbing uh, lipstick all over her lipstick face. That's you know, face. that's no joke. <laughs> but but it's really for me Laura Dern's movie and I think she's effervescent in it. I think she's amazing. I think and I, I, go I ahead. like as far as like the development of the characters go, Laura Dern is the one that has the biggest journey, right? Like Right. Yeah, like, she's the main character. Like, yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Like she enters into motherhood at the end. Like that's a hell of a transition from where she starts out. And um oh yeah, we forgot to mention my man's Harry Dean Stanton's in this movie. Oh yeah, Fucking I mean, brain. Yeah, we didn't we didn't he forget. Awesome. I was get, I was getting there. I just you know we we just haven't gotten there yet. Harry, <laughs> well, this cast is unbelievable. The cast is it is, is crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not just like the character actors that you recognize the 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 huge talent, but then there's a bunch of smaller parts in this movie that are people who would end up on Twin Peaks that you would become familiar with on Twin Peaks. You know what I mean? Yeah, like or, that. Well, Jack Nance is in there. Um, uh huh. Uh huh. You know. A bunch of like a uh, Lord, uh, what's her name? Uh, Lara Flynn Boyle is on, is in there. Oh yeah, yeah. She's the lady in the car accident. Oh yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah. another another Lynch edition. The car accident theme is another yeah. edition of Lynch's. Uh, Isabella Rossellini, of course, who uh, yeah, you know, had, had just worked with him on Blue Velvet. Yeah, no, the cast is unbelievable. Even just seeing David Patrick Kelly, 
You know, every time yeah. I see David Patrick Kelly, it makes me happy because I just see him no matter what he's doing, and all I can think is Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I uh, okay. So uh, I think the, the things that I find really endearing is that Laura Dernness of it. Uh, as Josh said, the road movie of it. But the fact that there's still nightmare, like there are so many scenes where things are mostly going linearly, but then there's something in the background. There's a shot when they're at the motel, the two dudes who just keep standing there near them. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's just so See, many the singing moments. part where the heavy metal band is playing and oh, yeah. dude. <laughs> they play the Elvis song. Yeah. Yo, that shit is amazing. It was so good, that scene. And all the girls just been like, woo, like every time he finishes a phrase. Ah, oh, my God. <laughs> Aaron, what were you going to say? Jeans. I feel like I cut you off. No, I just, I mean, it's it, it was a great movie, but there's like, there's just that, po- I don't, and I can't even pinpoint what it is, but it seems like there's just like, when you watch an older movies, but it it's good, but it doesn't age as well as you would hope. Like, sure, sure, sure. Like, what which aspects for you were difficult in that way? I mean, I just feel like to me the like the like I don't know. I it just seemed the not in a good way because there's a cheesiness in a good way, but it seems like that some of the cheesiness of it just didn't stand the test of time. Like, I feel like if I would have seen it. Like you, if I would have seen it when it came out, and then I went back to it as like a fan of the movie mm-hmm. from back then, I think I would have, I would have, I would not see that. But as somebody that hasn't really seen it and then went back and watched it for the first time, it's kind of like seems a little uh, overly cheesy to me. Some some parts. <laughs> maybe this is maybe this is just your uh, your. Not avoidance, but you, you're the fact that you don't resonate with like the David Lynch. Yeah, like the cool things. There was definitely some really cool things about it, like that whole end with yeah. like him going up to the clouds and all that. Like that was all, I loved that aspect of it. Like, sure, but like besides that, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think David Lynch has this like affect, right? That he is i mean that's like part of twin peaks right the guy shows up he's talking about yeah. the fucking coffee and the pie and the shit and meanwhile there's horrible child murder happening and that's yeah. sort of his deal you know david lynch described the movie as a as a love story that occurs in hell and i think that's kind of the vibe like i, I was i was thinking that a really key scene for the movie is when she's driving which like you know she's finally taking control of the car and she's trying to find music and all that's on the radio is the most fucking horrifying news stories you could ever yeah. hear yeah. and she just pulls over and she needs him she needs him to find like music for her and it's again that same power mad song that they are <laughs> dancing to the whole time <laughs> uh, but you know the idea that like what he brings into her life is this sense of whimsy and escape from a world that's like pretty fucked for the most part uh and 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 it's interesting when josh you were saying like she's the one with the arc and it's true and i think that's what set the book apart from what i read is that in the book she just moves on and he has to leave because he's the same old loser and i love that for lynch you know he can't leave it there that their love is too strong for that so what she has done is she's become an adult She's become a real person. She's become strong. She's not afraid of her mom anymore. She can stick up for herself, whatever, whatever. What he has realized is that uh, he is not irredeemable. 
that he that yeah. he is not worthless that like her loving him is not a mistake and that is sort of the weird thing with Lynch right is that he somehow really wants to mire you in the grossest muckiest excess right and then he has this sentimental thing where it's like, well, they got to love each other, right? They, you can't just leave it at that. <laughs> they got to they gotta end up loving each other. And uh, it's interesting because I, I, I talked a, bit, a little bit about this on Twitter, but I think it's worth mentioning on the episode, too, that like a lot of the critical response to this movie seemed to be around understanding if the ending is ironic or not. You know, So the idea is like either it's sincere and it's just a straight kind of love story, though calling it a straight love story is disrespectful to the high levels of weirdness that occur throughout the movie. Like he makes yeah. it pretty clear that the world is a nightmare and at any moment weird nightmare things can happen. So like calling it a straight love story is, is not fair. But the idea is that either the end means it's a straight love story or he's being ironic. He's making fun of romance. He's making fun of uh, romantic movies. He's poking a finger at our sentimentality and, and all that kind of shit. And what's so crazy to me is uh, I think that dichotomy becomes about whether Lynch is like a smart filmmaker because a smart filmmaker would make an ironic ending or if he's some sort of like idiot savant. Like so the ending is just how he feels and you might enjoy it but it's not because he's like insightful or intelligent. It's just something a dumb person would do and you either like it or you don't like it. Like he's like the Wesley Willis of filmmaking. <laughs> and like Or the Charles Bukowski and drunken savant. This is yeah. what like this is that, this is what I'm fucking yeah. saying, man. Like the idea it goes back to Aaron's uh, the connection analogy. Yeah, yeah, man. That's the real, idea, dude. the yeah. idea that the, if the ending has any sense of irony, that that makes it not sincere, is so fucking dumb to me. Like, <laughs> obviously, lots of things that have a sense of irony are still meant sincerely. Often, irony is a way to express your sincere feelings of frustration. Like. I think if, if in the moment, if someone had said to Lynch, like, well, you know, the ending's not very realistic, I think his response would be, well, that's not the fucking point, is it? You know what I mean? Like, the, the movie's not very realistic. Like, that's not... Yeah. The, the, the question is, you've created this narrative that is utterly ridiculous, but it rings true, right? Like, if you're living in the 90s when this comes out, or I guess it's not quite the 90s, but it's like that transition period, uh, there's probably aspects of it that feel like weirdly real to you, even as it's very unreal. That it it it, it re resonates with you emotionally, and and it still does for me in a way. It's still kind of not a completely inaccurate picture of the world that we're in. And, but that resonance is not about a true reality. It's not a picture perfect. You know what I mean? Like. It, mm. It's fucked up, man. Like it's weird. It's it's not quite a Dali painting, but it has aspects of that going on. And so the idea that like, well, the ending doesn't work unless it's like a cruel joke is so yeah. weird to me as a way to interpret yeah. the film. I'm like, I think that tells more of the interpreter as opposed to the actual piece. And I mean, if you need Lynch to be this all in the bag of dystopia thing, then it's there right. for you to find. Right. right. But if you are truly like attuned to trying to find out what his voice is, that's also there to find, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right. and yeah. I don't know, like, I think that's kind of the beauty of the David Lynch movies that I do know so well that what you need to find in them is there for you. And it takes a director of great, not only skill, but magnanimity and just like wealth of person to be able to create art that does that. Sure, sure. And I don't think, I think that in that regard, he is like a fucking unicorn. You know what I mean? Like 
not too many people like maybe Jodorowsky is the only other artist I could think of in film that brings me there. You know what I'm saying? Like to right. the point where what, what it is that I need, I can find in these movies that, that it's all there. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I mean, fuck, I love that aspect of, of movie making with Lynch in particular. Like, I think that's, sure. I, I, I think the same thing happens with John Waters. I think he is kind of cut from the same weird campy cloth in yeah. that if you want to find mean shit in there, it's in there. But also, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for love, if you're looking for um, the, it, it, it truly doesn't discount what the viewer brings to the table. And I think that's like the commonality between these directors between, and Bukowski also. You know what I mean? It's, it's like what you're looking for is there. It, then, feel, it feels to me like more of a growth with Waters, though. Like, I think some of those early films are straight anarchy, even if they're like super fun and charming. And I, I, it, some of their transgressions feel cute now. You know what I mean? Like some of the things he did to like upset people, just you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. You know, but at the time, I'm sure it was like <laughs> horrifying. But I think that over time, it it became clear and clearer that the idea of doing these things came out of a love for humanity and not out of a mm-hmm. pure... Because I think his like, you know, fuck everything sort of attitude actually came yeah. from like loving weirdos and it didn't come from some sort of nihilism. And I think, uh, I don't know if it's quite the same with, with Lynch, Lynch because I think there's more to unpack there that I still am trying to figure out. But I do think he, his sentimentality is sincere. I don't think he's tricking people. I think it's just, no, it's part of what he it. finds meaningful and beautiful in the world. You know? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron, I'm sorry. Parts of this are cheesy. I was, I will say when it comes to things that don't stand the test of time, one of the things with Lynch is how often he relies on sexual violence. And so I was, you know, seeing this movie again and remembering like that scene with Willem Dafoe, even though oh, was, dude, that was pretty disturbing. I yeah. mean, it was, it was a good scene, but it was like, you could feel the, yeah. the, the griminess uh, of it as you're watching it, so you know, upsetting. Yeah. I think, I think in 20, wow. I think it's just a reality. Like we can name it without judging him or dismissing the movie that in 2020, a lot of audiences for good reason are just like tired of that as a trope, you know, like that we didn't need that. But at the time, I'm sure that was pretty powerful. Uh, I'm sure there were some people who are still like, I don't need this, but I, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to say that it doesn't work. Like it's a pretty powerful scene. I'm just at the point now where as a viewer, I'm just like tired of that stuff. So when that happened, I thought ah, I could do without this. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't think it's like as bad as it could be. You know what I mean? It's not like right. egregious, but I did think like, ah, I wish there was something else here where we could see the depth of how fucked up Willem Dafoe's character is. Cause that's really the scene that nails for you. Oh, this dad's a monster. Yeah. yeah I just, hate this guy. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't just yeah. look bad. He is bad. Yeah, dude, how about yeah. when he shoots his own head off in that next scene? That was, <laughs> crazy. that was so violent. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like he just went full horror movie on me. Yeah, yeah. I was. I totally forgot about that scene, and then when it happened, I was like, oh yeah. Oh man, here's the sinuses, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, so that's Wild at Heart. I definitely think it's great. Uh, I understand there are going to be people listening who 
just that scene. I mean, if you don't, I, I don't know why you would want to watch either one of these movies if you don't like disturbing things. Like either one of these movies yeah. is a comfort watch. But I, but I think if you're someone for whom Lynch's, you know, uh, turns towards the very dark are, are a bummer. I don't know if this movie is linear enough to like be the outlier for you. I think it might still hit you the wrong way. But if you're someone who just hasn't had a chance to check it out, or you don't, re- you know, you don't quite remember if you dig it or not, I really recommend it. I think it's really, really, really good, and I find it a lot, um, a lot easier to digest than some of Lynch's other films. But it still kind of works as like a, a way to understand some of the other things he's doing in other movies because the themes are there, the same kind of themes around yeah. violence and about the darkness under the surface and about you know, uh, institutions of society actually being untrustworthy and all that stuff. Also, the constant use of fire in the film, I loved as well. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was really good. Yeah. Can I ask yeah. you guys a question about this movie? Sure. Yeah. So the scene where she asks Sailor to find music on the radio and they yeah. find that metal song. Yeah. <laughs> were either of you impressed with Power Nicholas? Man. Yeah, Power Man. Was either of you impressed with yeah with his kicking <laughs> ability? Yes, because yes. let me tell you, when Nicholas Cage starts doing those kicks, I'm like, yo, this dude would have been a terror in the pit, y'all. Yo, he did a couple kicks even at the show when they went yeah. to some Power Mad at the show. Yeah, and I was like, wait a minute, is this guy acquainted with the art? Is that the question I'm asking? I was, I was very impressed with his kicking ability, but I was wondering if you guys were too. Yo, not only was I impressed with this uh, uh, kicking ability, but after watching this movie again the last time, I was like, who is this fucking band? I had to look it up. I was hoping some of their riffs would be as good as the one they keep using in the movie over and over again. But alas, that record <laughs> no. is not quite as ripping as I had hoped. I was actually, it, when, the first time I heard them when they went to the show, I was like, is this a band that's just like not Anthrax, but they're, they're playing as a different band? Because, like, his voice at first, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, heavy Belladonna. Heavy Belladonna going on there. (laughs) Yeah. The record's not bad, though. I listened to the whole record. It was fine. But it's... uh... It's not. It's not. It's not as good as you would hope. From just you overnighted it from Amazon, didn't you? No, I just found it on. (laughs) I literally found it on Spotify, and I was like, "Oh shit, this is a real band." Because I didn't know, you know, going in the the last time I watched it was a few months ago. I didn't know if it was even a real band. Like you know, like maybe this is just studio musicians playing a riff for them. But like, that's a real. That's a real thing, man. That was a real band. That was their record. The nineties, man. Crazy, nineteen ninety, <laughs> crazy. Well, we're gonna jump forward a few years to uh, nineteen ninety three for True Romance, uh, a movie with slightly less riffs but just as much Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, what? So, what is your history with this movie? Um, when did you first see it? Were you familiar with? Uh, now, remind me, guys, is this a Tony Scott or a Ridley Scott? Tony. Tony. Scott. Tony. How familiar yeah. with Tony Scott or with? Quentin Tarantino, who wrote the script, like talk about how this movie came into your life and and your your relationship with it. Well, I first saw it probably probably like ninety five. Actually, I did not see it when it first came out, and I had no idea of anything involved with the movie. I I just randomly watched it with some friends, and for some reason, I just completely clicked with it, and it was just. I I didn't really know. I mean, I'd seen some Tarantino's movies, but I didn't know 
anything really about it. You know, um, I had seen Reservoir Dogs, but I going into it, I didn't know that it was a Tarantino movie, which is obviously a great surprise, you know. Um, yeah. But it's it, it was just one of those movies that I saw, and it just something clicked with me. Like right. Did you see it a lot? Was it one of those movies that like? Yeah. You know, we all have those formative movies that we've seen over and over again. I mean, I've seriously. Yeah, like it, when in in the late mid to late nineties, I probably watched. I can't even count the amount of times I watched this. It was just like one of those movies. It was a rotation of this and the Star Wars movies. You know, just like yeah. a constant rotation. <laughs> like, but when when I go to bed, it was either this or one of the Star Wars movies. Kind of, you know. Um, yeah, I get it. But uh, yeah, it just is. I've. It's just such a great movie, and I just connected with it from day one. I don't know. It's maybe it was like the, the I don't know how much of the plot you want to get into now, but it was like yeah, no, go ahead. Let to me, it was what's this movie about? It was to me, it was like the this like this underdog guy that had nothing going on, and then it just I mean, obviously, it turns into a disaster by the end in a weird way. I mean, definitely turns into a disaster, but it recovers, but. Uh, he just like this nobody with nothing going on. He just finds like the love of his life out of like essentially to him out of the blue. He didn't know, you know, it's a setup. But then he's he meets his love of his life, and they like have this instant connection. And it was just I don't know. I mean, I guess sort of relatable, like being like the the punk rock kid who like you know had nothing in high school, you know? Like, I was the only punk rock kid in my high school, and I'm seeing this nerdy guy on TV that's, like, <laughs> has nothing, and he just, I don't know. It's it, it, To me, it was very relatable, character-wise, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and it was, it was, an, I, it was a, like you said, it was a little over the top and a lot of gratuitous stuff, but it had a lot of action in it, and it was... Ah, I don't know. I don't, it was that's fair. Uh, no, that's totally valid. So I'm hearing you, man. Re- rewatching it for this episode, does it does it move you in the same way? Is it more of a nostalgia thing for you? So, like like which parts of it are still awesome? Which parts of it are less awesome? Like like what, what? How do you feel about it now as an adult? So I started watching it last night, rewatching it last night, and I stopped because I was it was super late. So I watched it actually again this morning. And after my son went to school, and it it is completely exactly where it was back then. Like I, for some reason, it like has never like faded. Like I honestly, I put it on last night, and I was gonna watch it, and I was like, oh, I hope that this isn't like a letdown, you know? Right. right. <laughs> and I, I mean, I, I I've watched it, you know, within the past year and a half to two years, but just thinking about this and putting it on last night, I was like, oh, I hope it's not gonna be. A bum out, and it was great. And I was like, I get, I get to stop because I'm not going to be able to watch the whole thing. I'm going to wait and watch it tomorrow morning. So I watched it this morning, and it was like, to me, it was just as good. It was just as satisfying. Uh, actually, maybe even a little bit more because I hadn't watched it in a long time, and I was like, this is such a good movie, you know? Well, I love that it still like like fires on all cylinders for you. Like that is so awesome. Uh, what what? For watching it now, what are some of the like aspects of it and performances that like really kind of stand out for you? That get you totally stoked? That you like find just as exciting as when you were a kid? Uh, like it, it, to me, and I know he's 
he's done a lot of things that aren't super cheesy. And I, and, and I guess some people could take Christian Slater's character as a pretty cheesy character in the movie in a weird way. But I feel like that's his, like, the least cheese <laughs> that he's had in most. I feel sure. like from after that point, he just kind of, like, went off the deep end. Uh, like, not that... Like Heather's and all that. Wait, well, Heather's was before yeah. this, wasn't it? When was he- ninety? Was Heather's ninety two or ninety ninety? I don't remember uh, what year Heather's came out. I don't know. I don't. It know. might have been. It might have been right. even earlier. But like, yeah, I feel like, and and, and and it may not be actually chronological of like, but maybe the chronological order that I saw the movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel uh-huh. like I feel like this was his least cheesy movie. Sure. I mean the Elv- the Elvis thing is a pr- is pretty cheesy, but right, right, right. It, but, um, but yeah, I mean everything stood up to me. Everything stood up to test the time. Uh, I mean, all the things that that drew me to at the beginning, I still love it about it. You know, um, are you are you a Christian Slater fan? I mean, I like his movies. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, Pump Up the Volume was great. I'm a fan. Yeah. No, I hadn't seen Pump Up the Volume, and you and I had chatted a little bit about maybe doing that as a second, and I was actually kind of excited to go back and listen to it. I mean, go back and watch it, I mean. and uh, But it was good. I mean, I love, he's, I love he's got Pump a, Up the Volume. It's so good. It's so, so good. good. Yeah. It's so good. And I, I also love Legend of Billie Jean. I love yeah. Leaving the Cube. I was like, just going to say. <laughs> Dude, yeah. the teenage cheesy Christian Slater is like my man's. Like, I love that fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, it's funny, too, because it's like Melani really loves Miss Robot. And I, I watched like a couple episodes with her, but I just it doesn't like connect to me like the way fucking, you know, is. Dude, Gleaming the Cube is the cheesiest movie of all time, possibly, right? And Tony Hawk's in it, and his Asian brother dies, and it's like, hey, Christian Slater, he's down with you know, he's down with Asian folks. That's, that's the man right there. But um, <laughs> I love that that's your personal connection. Yeah, to it's like, Gleaming oh man, that he's got a cramps poster. He's friends with a guy Yabo. He lives in a hole. It's pretty cool, oh, man. Oh my gosh! I know. Oh my gosh! I, I love that movie. So, but that said, I mean, uh, this. So, my relationship with true romance is that my friend Jimmy has a tattoo that says "You're so cool," <laughs> and I was like, "What's that from?" And he's like, "Oh, it's for true romance." And I was like, "Oh, the Christian Slater movie with the guy from Gleaming the Cube, right?" Like, yeah. And then I just never saw it. I don't think. Like, I never watched the whole thing until we watched it for this episode. Wow, so, so you're like going wow. in so fresh. Yeah, 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 totally. Like it was nice seeing Bronson Pinchot in there. Didn't <laughs> see that one coming. And uh, who was the director? Was that Elliot Gould? That wasn't Elliot Gould, was it? No, couldn't. No, the, no. The, uh, the director was um, Saul Rubinick. Yeah, Saul Rubinick. Right. Yeah. He looks a lot like. Um, he does not actually look anything like Elliot Gould. He looks like a little, and then Michael Rappaport in there, and, and Samuel Jackson, like all, and Brad Pitt, fucking yeah. Brad Pitt's in there. I love yeah. Brad Pitt's role. Yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And um, as a person who's seen all the Tarantino movies, like I definitely picked up on all the Tarantino isms. Yeah. And uh, I'm not very familiar with Tony Scott. Like I've seen The Last Boy Scout, and I've seen. Um, I think I saw a couple. What was like the big Tony Scott John? Like he he. I mean I know he's Ridley Scott's brother, 
But uh, what's his like main movie that he's known for? If like, not True Romance. Like, uh, Enemy of the State. I'm looking oh, yeah, he did that. I'm looking right now because I always get this. Con- I actually regularly get those two confused, even though their careers are very differently. Oh, I didn't. Different. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crimson Tide. Um, oh, you mean Beverly Hills, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beverly Hills Cop 2? Yeah, he directed Beverly Hills Cop 2. Didn't he direct? He directed um, fucking The, the Hunger. Hunger. Yeah, with, with David Bowie and, and Catherine Deneuve. And Top Gun. So, you know. Clearly, oh yeah, he's down with, clearly he's down with queer folks since he directed Top Gun. <laughs> um, and I, yeah. Oh, Days of it. Thunder, of course. Another road movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's interesting to me. Like you know, he's 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 the younger brother of Ridley Scott. Who, I mean, I'm a big Ridley Scott fan, right? And uh, sure, Tony Scott always just seemed like from just from cursory like seeing through the movies that he's directed he just seems like um one of those like jerry bruckheimer kind of guys right like uh he's here to just give you the goods kind of like political espionage and action scenes right i mean i i think i think the hunger is pretty brilliant but yeah, yeah, but no, it, when I realized that he point, did The Hunger, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. no shit. Like, that shit's right, amazing. Right, But um, this movie, I will admit, as it is basically my first watch of it, it did not resonate with me. I get, like, I really like the whole, um, like, the dude's, like, Christian Slater's character is, like, this pop culture guy. He's basically, he's, he's the kind of nerd that's, like, of our tribe. He's watching yeah, some Chiba sure. movies on his 21st birthday by himself. That's a thing Liam would do. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, he yeah. needs comic books. I could say, okay, that tracks, you know. But um, they're, the problematic bits of this movie uh, are a lot deeper cutting in 2020 than I imagine that they are in 1995. So watching it through the lens even. of now. 93 even, sir. But... um. Yeah, watching it through the lens of now, it definitely it, it it clicked a lot of the Tarantino boxes that I do enjoy, right? Like I, I liked there there are bits of it that I found to be entertaining, but like Gary Oldman's character, not so fun. Um, <laughs> it's I, I definitely like the Patricia Arquette character. Um, wait, it is that's the right yeah that's cr- the correct Arquette right Patricia? Anyway. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Not so much. She she definitely echoes the concept of the the pixie um, like clandestine female in these movies that are just the antibalance for these like troubled male protagonists. In that she doesn't really have much to do in the movie other than be manipulated and then like get beat up by James Gandolfini, who also in this movie who did yeah and. Um, so, so that said, like, because I watched this before I watched Wild at Heart, and I think that I resonated more with Wild at Heart than I did with this one. For those I, reasons. I mean, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, it is weird to think of this as a Tarantino script because it has some of my favorite Tarantino stuff, like references to Sonny Chiba and comic books. But uh, I hate that, like, one of the best parts of the movie is the most awkward like the scene between Christopher Walken and Dennis also Hopper is yeah. unbelievably oh, so well acted, but it's such a creepy Tarantino thing 
that like the whole time watching it, I'm like, this is, uh, is this really what we <laughs> want to do right now? Come on. <laughs> so like my, my familiarity with this movie was always, this was the other Tarantino movie, which I hate that because it's very disrespectful to a man who's no longer with us, Tony Scott. I feel bad. I'm sorry, Tony Scott. I didn't mean to disrespect your memory, but that's how I was as a kid is there's the main Tarantino movies and then there's that other Tarantino movie that he didn't direct, but he wrote it. And it feels like a Tarantino movie to me. Uh, and when I was a kid and watched it, uh, I don't think it really, it didn't click for me the way that other Tarantino movies did. Like, I probably watched Pulp Fiction a hundred times. I probably watched uh, Jackie Brown, uh, uh, yeah, Jackie Brown yeah. and Reservoir Dogs like 50 times. You know, like, those were like a part of my growing up. And this movie, I watched it a couple times. I liked it. That particular scene with Dennis Hopper always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, but I didn't even really think about the Gary Oldman thing until like years later um, and be like, oh, that's actually kind of weird. Uh, and, and the rest of the movie, like I always thought it was like, you know, it's just a lot of fun and whatever, whatever. Rewatching it now, there's still a lot of it that I really like. I like the convergence of all the forces at the hotel. Yeah. I like Bronson Pinchot as like the guy who gets caught. I love what jerk offs the cops are. That all that really works for me. Um, the things that kind of stuck in my crawl is like a, they really don't seem to care too much about uh, why uh, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette love each other. Like, I get it. Like, it's supposed to be like a love at first sight sort of thing, like whatever. But they just don't give them enough time other than like fucking in a phone booth to like really see that chemistry. And in fact, the reason for that is Patricia Arquette is just underwritten in this. Like her character is just underwritten in this movie it, to my taste. I just want more of her character. And in fact, we get the most from her, unfortunately, in that scene, Josh, where she's being beaten up by James Gandolfini. Yeah. And it's like the part where she's the strongest and the most present. And in fact, even though it's a horrifying scene, you know, rightfully so, I mean, it's supposed to be very upsetting, but it goes on forever. And it's yeah. the one place <laughs> where like she. 11 minutes long. And it's the yeah. one place where she gets to be really strong and independent. And I kind of hate that. I don't know if it's. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a deep a deep feminist scholar over here. I wish I was, but I'm really not. So I don't know if it's problematic in and of itself in like a deeper political way. I just know as a viewer, I'm like, I wish I this was a completion of more character beats before now where I got to see who she was. But really, it's never clear what kind of character she is until this moment. And that's where she's the most present. Um, and that really bums me out. Uh, I definitely, I definitely, that was always one of my biggest bum outs about the movie, though. Actually, to be honest, is there was no build up to that, really. Right. It just sort of happens. And like, like, you know, any of her backstory. No. Like, even in that, just that, that aspect, you don't know anything. I think it's supposed to be fun and mysterious. It like really is just supposed to be like, oh, it's like she blew in off, off the trails. And now, you know, she just sort of floats on the wind. But it doesn't feel like that to me. It just feels like the movie doesn't care enough. And instead, we get a lot more of Christian Slater's character, who, like, I just don't find as charming now. I think it's because at the time, I also, like you, Aaron, are relating Christian Slater to, like, my existence as a little punk kid who, like, you know, doesn't have a lot of friends or girlfriends. And, you know, it would probably end up in a movie theater on my 21st birthday or whatever. Like, so in that sense, I'm like seeing that resonance. Looking back, 
on it, A, um, you know, I, I, I see a little less connections with this guy in some ways uh, because he's extremely selfish. It's like the moment in the film where his friend... Michael Rappaport? Yeah. Michael Rappaport. When Michael Rappaport yeah. gets the fucking role and he's like, okay, come to the hotel. That is the most selfish thing I've ever seen in a movie ever. More than any <laughs> villain who's ever existed. Really? Bro, you know for a fucking fact you're going into a dangerous situation. You're bringing a gun. Your girlfriend, or your wife rather, was almost killed in this whole thing. Michael Rappaport's like, hey, turns out my dreams are coming true. And yeah. your response is, yo, that's so cool. Let's go to the death trap. It's time to go to the death trap. <laughs> and, 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 and while I don't think he's expecting quite the scene that happens he was expecting that something could go wrong he is prepared for you know i mean he literally threatens to kill bronson pritchard with the elevator like clearly like he's he's hyped up and so the idea he's that aware he, of the stakes yeah. yeah so to bring along Rappaport, i was like oh right this sense i've been getting the whole movie is finally confirmed that you're an asshole and like if if any any resonance i feel with you as a punk dude is like you're less like a you're less like a Youth of Today song and more like a, a Descendant song. You know, like you're more like a dude who's ma- who would probably be mad at his ex-girlfriend. You know, like that's... I, I just I just feel like that character was less charming for me and it made the rest of the movie work a lot less because he just doesn't seem as concerned for the other people. In his, I mean, and, you know, he really does like fuck everybody's life up in a, in a way. Like not only is he not there for his wife when she's being attacked just so he can get burgers. He definitely gets his dad <laughs> killed and doesn't even explain yeah. the situation to his dad. You know, like he, you know, uh, granted uh, all those mobsters and cops had to come in, but they really are all there dying because of him. You know, Bronson Pinchot dies mm-hmm. because of him. Like the whole movie is sort of about him being a jerk off. And really you don't see any evidence of him doing anything that like feels really that heroic productive. until yeah. the end when he's with his kid and it's like that sort of like wraps it all up. I, I, even him going the way he goes and kills, uh, uh, you know, Drexel. Drexel in the beginning, it's yeah. a little more foolhardy and ego than it is really like heroic. You know what I mean? And and so, mm-hmm. in a way, I thinking back on it, I mean, don't be wrong. There's lots of problematic stuff in the movie that I think definitely comes from Tarantino, and he's a little obsessed with. Uh, race stuff and I don't think he's dealt with his own stuff going on with that and all that I think all that's there but I wonder if Tarantino might have if he had directed this movie might have had it be more like oh this dude's an asshole and then at some point he figures out he is an asshole and he's like gonna get his life in a different direction you know what I mean like Mm, I think he would have added I feel like Tony Scott maybe didn't quite get the vibe because the movie really is filmed in a way where we're supposed to think like we identify with him, but really like the character who is sacrificing the most and is really like the most loving is Patricia Arquette. And we don't know anything about her character. Mm-hmm. Like I just wish the movie was like much the way wild at heart focuses more on Laura Dern. I really think true romance would be a much better film for my taste. If we spent time with Patricia Arquette and, and we were less concerned with uh, the Christian Slater uh, of it all. That being said, as much as those things like really bum me out, like I got really frustrated with them, there are a lot of super charming moments. Brad Pitt, I fucking love it. Uh, <laughs> until until he's beating up Patricia Arquette, I don't mind the James Gandolfini of it all. And even then, th- his role is to be a menacing asshole, and, and, and he's yeah. good at it. It's just frustrating because it's like I, I, 
you know, it's just such a frustrating scene in some ways. Um, Christopher, again, I will never forgive whoever's responsible for it, for that scene with Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken, because it's a great scene. And so I'm sitting there being like super annoyed, like this is such a dumb way to explore this. And yet they're amazing in it. That, that is a fucking yeah. amazing yeah. scene. Uh, and in the end, you know, this is probably true of Tony Scott across a lot of his movies. He is a good director of actors. I don't know if he made the right choices overall in this movie, but he got those performances. And even the Christian Slater character, who I think is stupid and, an, and a dickhead, Christian Slater's still very good in the role. Like, I think yeah. everyone is, like, batting a thousand in this movie, and it's really kind of impressive. Yeah. Can we also talk about the fact that in the Drexel scene, when he goes in to shoot Drexel and all that stuff, the she's your queen guy from coming to America's in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. It's my oh dude. My God. She's your queen. Yeah. 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 Oh <laughs> my God. I'll admit to you right now. I got unreasonably psyched. <laughs> I was like, Oh man. Oh, oh sure. Cool. I mean, I got bummed when Samuel Jackson was only in it for two, for a few seconds, really. And then he was yeah, gone, yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh, bye, bye, buddy. See you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did like the little clip in the middle, uh, the, towards the beginning with the little John Woo on the TV, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the killer. Oh, yeah. Very, yeah. very much so, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Chai Young Fat, yeah, feeling that, yeah. feeling that. And that's the thing, right? Like, that's the Tarantino thing. He ropes you in with his nods to this, like, similar... Um, pop cultureness of it right that that is specific to a certain population so you know all those notes are there for sure and um i won't say that i that i disliked this movie overall i enjoyed it i i had fun with it but uh i definitely can see myself liking it more having if i came to it earlier yeah if that makes any sense i think it's one of those for me that it's like the stuff that i like make me actually not like the movie because i feel like there's this good movie under the surface but the things that mm. i didn't like make me go like ah oh, fuck you guys you know like i just am annoyed that it is the way it is and i wish it was a little bit different now granted being annoyed at a at a at a movie from 1993 is a, a true a true nerd <laughs> self-own you know it's, it's you know truly a moment yeah it's like why do you even though, fucking yeah. care man whatever <laughs> but i think it's because like i did have such good memories of it that going back to it for me i was like oh I wish this was a little bit better because it has some of my favorite performances of that decade. And yet I think overall they, they just, they fucked it up a little bit and that makes me frustrated. But then again, I only probably watched this maybe twice when I was younger. So, uh, I think there is probably a bit of like, I don't have that nostalgia pill, whereas I'm sure that nostalgia pill helps me a little bit with some of Tarantino's movies when they get a little too talky. I'm just like, Mm. well, I just love him. So I I let it go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, the nostalgia pill is huge with this for me. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure that's, that's one of the biggest things is it just still, I mean, I mean look, it would be in the grand. It would be amazing to have seen what Tarantino would have done with this, though, if he directed it. Like, I agree. If I could look in the Especially hourglass and see that, yeah, 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 like coming off the heels of Reservoir Dogs, and like mm-hmm. that could have been. That would have been could have been insane. <laughs> For the record, I will always, I will always be on the side of Christian Slater. That's that's just the thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't understand. know. I know he's made some some bad movies. That's my dude. I'm gonna be a Christian Slater stand forever. That's just what that is. Until he I comes out and is like, "Yo, f- fuck a Filipino." Like, oh, what Christian? No. Like, until he does that <laughs> I mean, shit. I mean, like, that's part of my frustration though. Is that's how I feel about Patricia Arquette. I think she's done 
in recent memory a lot of amazing work and I think she's really shown that she's a great actress and I think that one of the powerful things about that scene with James Gandolfini is that she actually is really good in it. Like, I just think like, yeah. she could have just been a, a damsel in distress. And I think she really exudes a, a, a determination and a strength that is not anti her character. She doesn't become a superhero. Mm. She just yeah. is like willing to not give up. And I just think there's something about that that's really compelling. But a lot of the movie, she's just there to say cute, funny things. And I yeah. just feel yeah, like I think I definitely feel like it. To me, it reminded me of Natalie Portman in Garden State, like this kind of oh. like character. Okay, okay. Which is, and I, I have a strong aversion to that type of trope, right? Like the, the clandestine, like you know, sent from heaven female that just happens to be, you know, this person that's you know, kind of here to pin stuff on. You know what I mean? And um, so like up until that point, that's the only like note that I was hearing from that character and again it didn't resonate with me you know what I'm saying so I, I, I just I, I, I wonder if there's a reading of this movie where uh, at some level Patricia Arquette's actually making fun of him the whole movie like I really want it to be like when she writes you're so cool she's like uh, like she loves him still but she's like what a fucking idiot you know yeah. but then she writes on the note you're so cool and he's like oh thanks babe I am so cool and the audience then she like looks at the camera and like winks and the audience goes like uh, nah she's fucking with him he doesn't even get it you know like that would have been you know whatever but I think it's I think there's a, you know thinking back on it I think there's just this is definitely a movie to fall in love with for me when I was a dude uh, when I was a little dude because I think now I'm so skeptical of the guy of the guy I could be bullshitting someone to get what I want and having this beautiful woman tell me like it's cool man you're so cool what you just did <laughs> meanwhile I'm like in the bathroom talking to Elvis while everything important is happening like I'm just <laughs> like you know that's that's like no longer you know awesome to me or whatever but it is crazy though like I do wonder to what extent this is like uh this is like uh Tarantino's take on Wild at Heart you know, like there are so many resonances, but at its heart, mm-hmm. it's like such an incredibly different movie. In, in, you know what I mean? So it's like weird how yeah. there's like these similarities that feel very stylistic, but then they're in, in the core of what the movies are about. They're like not really similar, like thematically at all. So it's like kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Like I wonder to what extent Tarantino writing the script was like, well, this is what I would have done if I made, you know, like this is my take on this kind of like, a couple road movie criminal whatever thing um but i don't know i, think, I don't know uh, one of the one of the one of the weird echoing moments is when he gets the eye patch at the end like god right you know always yeah. like eye patches that's cool man. <laughs> <laughs> that's good <laughs> big, fan, big fan of your work yeah <laughs> i'd be really i'd be real curious to find out when he actually wrote the script though too you know yeah, like true. was it after wild at heart like there are so many, like you said, it's it's a different story, but there is so many similarities. Right. Yeah. It is take also. From it. it is worth noting that um, Christian Slater's character does make a very bad decision for two hundred thousand dollars, whereas uh, Nicholas Cage's character uh, goes back to jail for twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Like yeah, even yeah, in yeah. nineteen ninety, was that enough money to risk everything he risks <laughs> yeah, in that movie? Yeah, your whole like, shit. Like I will stuff. say that was it's you know. It's not worth looking for realism in a David Lynch movie, but that was one of those moments where I was like, "Yo, 
$2,500? Like, <laughs> God, like, yo, man, it's really not worth it. Like, just get a job, bro. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> no. What, are you busy for two weeks? Come on, man. <laughs> like, do a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that said, I also think in that scene, fucking Willem Dafoe's more terrifying without the fucking pantyhose on his face. Jesus oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But, Dude. man. Just to put pantyhose on your face and have that be an improvement on your overall appearance, it's not a good thing. Just saying. No, no, Just saying. no. Yeah. yeah it yeah, is yeah. It is crazy to me how much of Will Defoe's career, an actor I really love, has been just based on him freaking the fuck out. Like, that he just has the scariest angry face ever. Yeah, it's true, you know? man. Yeah. But it's funny. And it's, it's like you watch a movie with him in it, like uh, The Life Aquatic, and he's such a different character in there that, like, sure. they're almost... Not that many notes of Wild Willem Dafoe, whereas Nicolas Cage, also in this movie, his rep is based on his freakout. Oh, he's yeah. the like same character. Whole, <laughs> yeah. And it's always him going crazy, and that's what gets people to, like, love him. Whereas Willem Dafoe has always been crazy, but, like, it's so much, in fact, that when Willem Dafoe acts normal in movies, you're like, whoa. This wild note you're playing. Yeah, there, what's even happening? Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> what is it? Who is this person? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we could we could talk about both these movies for a while, but I want to respect everybody's time. And Aaron, we're so glad that you were able to join us to talk about this. And I'm really glad actually that you picked this movie, even though I spent a bunch of time like talking shit. Because the reality is like <laughs> I just haven't gotten to re- rewatch it, and I think it's like a very important movie for a lot of people, and even for the '90s. Like I really think like this dude kind of informed the aesthetic for a lot of things going on in the nineties after this. So, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know when I would have gotten a chance to revisit it and I'm really glad I got a chance to get a chance to talk to, uh, my, my buddies here about it. I really appreciate that. No, I'm, glad, I'm really glad I get to watch wild at heart too. I really didn't. I was, I was, I was pleased to go and watch it and it was a new experience really for me, which is awesome. Now I want to know in the future if you catch some more Lynch movies, how they land for you now that you've... I mean, if you've made it through the Twin Peaks stuff, then I don't know that the movies are any weirder than that. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's going to be interesting to see if they hit in a different way now that you're older. I will definitely go and watch some of them for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. I don't, I don't recommend Lost Highway. I didn't like it when I was 20, and I don't think it's... I don't like it now. Now, granted, I haven't rewatched it for 20 years, but still, yeah, I didn't no, like I it watched- then. When David Lynch did the speaking thing at PAFA, that was a movie we watched with him, and it was awesome. So I don't know. Oh, you love make it? With, uh, make of that what you will. Yeah, I do. I do. I'm going to have to rewatch so, it uh. then. Like I said, I haven't actually watched it since that fateful day when I decided I didn't <laughs> like it. So it's kind of on me to be not an asshole and rewatch it, but I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, Aaron, uh, we talked a bit about your record. Do you have anything else you want to plug, or do you want people to check out the band on social media or whatever, whatever? Now's the time to share that stuff. Yeah, we just check out the the new LP, Be Well, The Weight and the Cost. It's on all streaming services, uh, Be Well HC on Facebook and Instagram and all that. And uh, hopefully sometime in the next year, hopefully, We'll yeah. be playing playing some shows with Josh's band, hopefully somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah seriously. And, are you uh, guys are you guys writing now? Are you guys still working on new stuff or or what? Like I know, no, like you just did the record, but are we you ha- able to, like practice? Uh, we have we've we've done virtual practice, um, 
but we're actually going to be practicing all together, hopefully in the next couple weeks, mid-October, hopefully going to be practicing and getting back up on the chops for everything. Make sure we're, uh, we can still play the songs. <laughs> the songs are so good, dude. Did I Thank ever tell you my Boston stories? How I'll never play Boston again? No. I have two stories about the city of Boston just before we end the episode. Uh, of course. Yeah, we'll just be here forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> uh, Halo Snakes was uh, my first like real hardcore band that I sang for, and we played at um, the Palladium Wooster. Wooster, yeah. No, the, Ra- the Raven. We played a place called The Raven. And um, the first thing that happened was when they were sound checking, the sound guy was like, guitar, face guitar. And I couldn't stop laughing and everyone booed. And um, so that was a bummer. <laughs> and then we played. And then the next thing that we did as a band after we played there was break up. The next time <laughs> I played, the next time I played Boston was when I was playing bass in a band called Solarized. And we played at some place called the Democracy Center. And um, it was in Dorchester. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, in Dorchester. <laughs> so we played there, and we played this thing called the Sheer Queer Festival because Solarize was a queer punk band, and um, we played with a band called Pandemics that were really awesome. And we played with like a bunch of like just you know like the queer punk scene, like a bunch of those bands, you know. And it was um, yeah. it was fun. It was a ridiculous show, but um, a man kissed me on my neck and grabbed my butt. That happened. And then after I had to be like, hey, man, I appreciate the compliment, but, uh, you know, I'm married. And he was like, oh, I misread your bear code, which I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happens all the time. (laughs) And then as soon as he left, I was like, what the fuck is bear code? So then I had to Google (laughs) on my phone what bear code was. And um, at the time, I was like a 300-pound man, and I sweated a lot, and it was – it was in the middle of a summer, and I always carried a sweat rag with me. That being oh, a black you handkerchief. ridiculous oh. fool! Yeah, no, and I didn't know that a black handkerchief in your back left pocket didn't signify just that you were a sweaty fat man. But in this scene, it signified that I was an S and M heavy top in search of a bottom, oh. which is a thing. Yeah, didn't know. I need to didn't get know. you that. Whole... I need to get you that cruising shirt that has all the handkerchief codes on the back. I <laughs> didn't know that that was a thing. Is, was my point. And then the very next thing that happened as a band after that show was that I had to leave the band. I, I got kicked out of the band. So I refused to let my cross keys play there because I'm like, what if like. These guys kick me out, or like, what if like we break up directly after playing Boston again? Too much to risk. We'll play Boston. Sorry, Bean Town. See you next. <laughs> Love Josh. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, it's so dumb. I'm sorry. You know, my bad, dog. My bad. But anyway. play Wista instead. <laughs> Go back to Wista. Get some good. I don't know beans. What? I don't know what the fuck Boston's known for. Beans. Anyways, oh there you my go. God. Beans Damn. and dunk. Dunky guy. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Dunks. Hey, uh, okay. So everyone should check ah. out the Be Well record. <laughs> Get back on fucking track here. Uh, everyone should check yeah, out the no, Be Well no, record. Seriously though, without any hyperbole, the Be Well record is one of my favorite records of this entire year, and it's so good. And um, again, I, I just I'm really happy that we're friends. I'm really happy that I get to talk to you. 
and uh, that record is amazing. So Thanks. kudos to that man. That shit's fucking. In these dark times, it's the record that's helped me the most. Thank you so much. Seriously. No, no, man. Thank you. That's that's my you know that's my point. Like it's it's like you know I work in mental health and like at this point like in my career I guess um, things are definitely not therapeutic. Things are definitely like really dark right now for me. And that record is the one light that I've been looking to that's been helping me through this whole ordeal. And um, without that record, I definitely would be in a much worse like mental state right now. So thank you so much for that. It's a gift, and it's a gift that I take very seriously and that I love with all my heart. That means so, a lot. That means a lot, seriously. This is why we do it. Truth, man. You know? Yeah, and I, I love all you guys. You know, like I've, I've gotten to become friends with um, – with, with Brian too and um, it's just awesome to see sincere dudes playing music that really speaks to people and that to be one of the people that it speaks to I, I definitely feel blessed I feel honored thank you and that, that's all I gotta say about that I'm not trying to <laughs> you know, blow smoke or nothing I'm not trying to make it weird but you know I also just make things weird all the time just cause that's that's how Joey does baby <laughs> that's where I'm at so you know but anyway so yeah so thank you so much for listening. Is there anything else you want to look up, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate you so much. The fact that you just are like, now I'm going to transition into the ending I've been putting off for an hour. It's yeah, so really funny. It. Uh, You're welcome. Wait, did we finish everything with Aaron? We probably did, right? The uh, Did we say socials or anything like that? Yeah. Good? We did. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well then, yeah. Thanks for listening. And uh, people should, of course... Follow Cinepunks, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can follow us at all those places. And if you do, you'll not only hear about this podcast, you'll hear about a whole family of podcasts. Podcasts like Car Business, uh, Fat Girl Hacks, Cinema Smorgasbord, uh, The Evil Eye, Tomb of Ideas, a lot of stuff. And we have new shows joining all the time, including Help for the Helpers with our friend Dana Belletier, uh, um, if you were me with a friend of the show, uh, Mike DC, uh, and yeah. some, did you know that Aaron, did you know that, um, Brian's brother has a show on our network? That's coming. I, I heard that he was doing the podcast, but I didn't hear it was on your network. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it yeah. should be pretty cool. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we have to finish it up. Nothing's finished yet, but as soon as it's ready to go, we're going to hop, we're, we're aiming for the we're end of October. A huge rollout. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so it should, should nice. be great. So all that's to say, check out the website, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Check out our Patreon. Uh, and finally, uh, as you all know, October's coming up. We're going to be yet again celebrating October with our Cineween event. It's basically an opportunity for us to feature writing by uh, people who not just our staff, but people who appreciate the site or who uh, you know just haven't had a chance to write something and want to write something for the site. Uh, we don't, uh, unfortunately, have any money. So if you can get paid to write spooky things somewhere else, you should probably do that. But maybe you have a spooky pitch that no one has picked up and given you your, your uh, requisite dollars for. We'll take it. Uh, we just want to try to post <laughs> as much uh, spooky content as we can, whether that's horror or uh, ghost stories or takes on uh, the world we live in. Whatever it is, if it relates to the terrifying and horrific this October, we want to we wanna platform you. So shoot us an email, cinepunks at gmail, and uh, let us know what you want to do. Definitely write us and give us your pitch beforehand. 
uh, because we've in the past had people write about the same things. So we're yeah, just trying to avoid doubles. you writing a long article and then finding out we just did an article on the Conjuring movies. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Aaron, thanks for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks, sir. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. We're done here, Josh. Say the thing. Say the thing. Smoke bomb! Do you believe in the devil? Throughout history, people have claimed to have seen the devil. In 1692, he revealed himself to the women of Salem. And in 1921, bootleggers in Minnesota claimed to have seen him dancing on mischief night. But the devil doesn't dance alone. He has his followers, his conspirators, his cults. Coming to the Cinebunks Network this October. A new podcast which investigates crimes committed. In the name of Satan.